African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, bringing news from an African perspective. I'm your host, Ayanda Mkwanazi, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. The United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, presented a rather startling report at a recent international AIDS conference that showed around 30 teenagers aged 15 to 19 years were newly infected with HIV per hour in 2017. Of these, two-thirds were girls. It further says that the epidemic spread among adolescent girls is being fueled by early sex, including with older males, forced sex, powerlessness in negotiating around sex, poverty and lack of access to confidential counselling and testing services. So how do we navigate around these contributing factors while trying to reduce the numbers of HIV? Well, to help us unpack this discussion, we're joined on the line by Dr. Adrian Puren, who is the Acting Executive Director at the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. We also have Dr. Neveline Slingers, who is the Executive Manager at the South African National AIDS Council, SANEC. And we also have the CEO of Seoul City Institute, Lebu Ramafoko, good morning to all of you. Good morning, Ayanna. Good morning. Dr. Hi, ne- good morning. Good morning, Lebu. Dr. Nevelyn, I'd like to start with you. I mean, what's your view with these numbers? Have, have we reached crisis levels? Uh, well, to reconfirm the numbers for South Africa, we are aware of the fact that we had 94,000 new infections among adolescent girls and young women in 2016. And when we're talking about adolescent girls and young women, we're talking about the age group of 15 to 24. Mm. We know that the latest HSRC survey showed in 2018 showed that the HIV incidence of young women and girls in this age group is three times higher than than their male counterparts. So we um, so all evidence has shown us that this is the area of concern. And I think there's been quite a lot to try and respond uh, to this Um, Lebu, how do we begin to respond to this? Because it would appear that women continue to be at the heart of this um, epidemic. Well, I think um, while the the numbers are staggering, they are not uh, startling. We've always believed that unless you address the social and structural drivers of uh, the HIV epidemic, in sub-Saharan Africa, where HIV is mostly concentrated, you will not going to be able to deal with the epidemic. And we are talking about unequal power relations. We are talking about um, a lack of, 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 of uh, 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 economic uh, and sustainable livelihoods for young women. We are talking about communities that have broken down, where violence is the norm, particularly violence against women. All of these factors over and above all the other biomedical interventions that we need to to do in the country are very, very important. Mm. And for us, our response um, uh, is to basically say, you know, where are the gaps? Where are we lacking? 
in trying to address the social and structural drivers of HIV. Mm. Um, Dr. Adrian, I'd like to hear what's your take, and especially around research. I mean, when research like this is conducted, when numbers are put together, how has that gone about? How, how do we do that? And is it credible? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, just a correction. I, I'm um, the head of department of the Centre for HIV and STIs. I'm, I'm no longer acting oh, executive director. Thank just you for that, that correction. But, but thank you very much for, for the opportunity. So I think you've, you've raised the, the point about the, the, the numbers and how do we get to those numbers. And the way in which we do this, at least in South Africa and many of the African countries, are, is to conduct um, what we call surveillance, general population surveillance and it can be at a national level or it could be at a, su- a sub-national level, mm. where we um, sample based on uh, particular criteria a specific number of individuals, interview those individuals to collect um, critical information, and then look at the actual biological um, um, outcomes, in, un- in other words, who is infected with, with HIV, and this is done at, at a laboratory level. So these surveys are quite large in terms of the, the, the sizes that need to give us credible data. And they're also very expensive. And so these surveys are not um, conducted um, every year, but can be conducted, for example, every four to five years, as has been the case in the recent general population survey that was conducted um, for South Africa. And the reason why they're, they're large and, and expensive is because you want to have, have credible data. But very often, um, response rates may not always be the, the best. But our sense is from at least the last HSRC survey, although there, there may well be um, criticisms about the, the, the sample size and so forth, I think we have a reasonable sense of, of the data and, and, and its importance. Mm-hmm. It's also important to, to note um, that these surveys are important because we want to look at trends. Mm. And if you look at the trends for South Africa, um, and although we must remain concerned and not become complacent, um, the trends do show um, decline in in mortality rates. Um, They do show decline in in HIV incidence. Um, There there are improvements around um, the, the general population being aware of their their HIV status. So, for example, the mm. UNAIDS has um, three um, indicators: know your status, on treatment, mm. and you must be virally suppressed. And if you look at some of those indicators for South Africa, it looks as if that we are on track, at least for the first 90, that um, people do know their status. So, I think it was about above. 80-odd percent know, do know their status. Mm. Um, and a fair proportion of individuals, about 60-odd percent, are on treatment and are virally suppressed. Mm. So I think there are some good indicators, um, but I, I agree with your, your previous um, and my colleagues that still much needs to be done in, t- in terms of addressing mm. um, some of the problems. So yes, I think the antiretroviral therapy is really critical. I think it's an important program in terms of... Um, uh, resulting in viral suppression and therefore uh, transmission of, of HIV, that's, that's very important. Mm. Our male circumcision program, I think there are certainly um, improvements around that. But again, uh, there's, a, there's a fair amount of work to be done, and I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss some of these particular points. Mm. Um, where do you think are the gaps, uh, Dr. Purin? I think the, well, I'm sure my colleagues will, will address this in a bit more detail than I can, yeah. but I, certainly, you know, there, there are multiple areas that, that need to be tackled. 
Um, this, this can range from, because it's such a huge program in South Africa, at least the, the RT program is so, so huge, there may well be um, funding gaps that, that need to be addressed. Um, the a whole philosophy, perhaps, around mm-hmm. a more patient-centered or person-centered approach will certainly inform the way in which we can improve our identification of those that are infected, have them placed on, on treatment or keep them HIV negative. Um, and so there's a whole host of things that I think need 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 to be addressed mm. uh, that, that I think we can certainly explore. Mm. Um, Dr. Neveline, I mean, the number of uh, the death uh, rate in older population with HIV has certainly decreased. But, you know, with this very, very sensitive population between 15 and 19 years old, there is this um, sort of it's stagnant, you know, there's not much improvement. So just to sort of elaborate on what Dr. Puren was saying in terms of the gaps, why do you think we are not able to reach this age group? Um, thanks, Ayanda. Um, I think that the uh, government has done quite a lot, and they, as I said, they are aware of the numbers and the challenges. Um, and so government has two, um, two key things that, are, um, that include their focus on young women and girls. First of all, we have the National Strategic Plan for HIV, CD, and STI for 2017 and 2022, which highlights the challenge of um, the new infections amongst young women and girls and talks specifically about um, setting in place the the leadership structures to be able to deal with it. Uh, Goal one focuses on prevention and targets specifically adolescent girls and young women and what would be needed to make a change. Um, there's a target on the 1990-90 policy of UNAIDS. Um, all government departments within the National Strategic Plan um, have been identified as contributing different, um, making different, different contributions. For example, the Department of Basic Education has an integrated school health program as well as an HIV and TB policy, which they are moving towards implementation of. Department of Health is focusing on um, ensuring that they have access for adolescent girls and young women, that they have access to sexual reproductive health services, the prevention services, uh, the PrEP that they need, and that they are maintained on treatment if they need to be on treatment, and access the other prevention services. So through the NSP, there's there are quite a lot of activities to be implemented by different government departments, and they have responded. And then secondly, we also have the launch of the Sheep Conquest campaign, which is about two years ago. It was launched by the then Deputy President um, Ramaphosa. And that focuses specifically on a comprehensive approach to dealing with HIV in adolescent girls and young women. The focus there was to try and decrease the HIV incidence in this group, decrease teenage pregnancy, decrease gender-based violence, keep girls in school and also improve linkage to economic opportunities. So you can see that um, um, for the Sheik Conquest campaign, they also have a technical working group which tries to bring, to coordinate responses and of different uh, government departments as well as different funders coming from different sources, including outside the country. So there's quite a lot being done and there is ongoing research, but I think I think our gap is enough of the social science research to be able and the capability to respond quickly enough to that research. For example, I think today there's a 
there's a formal announcement of some research um, findings that was um, of a study that was funded by Gates uh, Foundation. So there's ongoing research, there's ongoing responses, but I think what what is coming out from focus groups and from different programs, the biggest challenge for young women and girls is access. I think I suppose maybe one maybe there are two things. The one is individual capacity to engage with options. So feeling feeling internally that they can make make a choice. And then secondly the link to economic opportunities and continuing uh, funds to support themselves. And those two obviously play an important role. Thank you. Go for a quick break. And then when we come back, I want us to, you know, talk more about um, the points that you've raised about girls being able to make a choice, funds. Also, Lebu touched on um, economic livelihood, being able to empower these young girls and make sure that they don't have to rely on older men for, for, for support. But let's talk all about that um, after the break. Are you looking for opportunities to network with Africa's business leaders? Do you want to engage with movers and shakers and participate in master classes presented by industry experts? Then, here's your personal invitation to attend the fourth annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum and exhibition taking place on the 8th and 9th of November in Cape Town, South Africa. If you want to register, then visit www.awiforum.org. Again, www.awiforum.org. If you cannot make the event, then don't worry. You can follow it through live broadcasts on Channel Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. 
Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for tuning in to African Dialogue. Now remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa, Facebook, or you can simply SMS your views to plus two seven seven nine six nine five. 7930. If you want to email us, do so at info at channelafrica.org. Now, today we're discussing HIV and young girls, and we're talking to a wonderful panel of experts. We've got Dr. Adrian Purin, who is the head of the Center of HIV and STIs at the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. We also have Dr. Neveline Slingers, who is the executive manager at the South African National AIDS Council, SANEC, and also the CEO of Seoul City Institute, Lebo Ramafoku. Now, Lebo, I'd like to pick up the discussion uh, with you because you also raised an important point of the lack of economic livelihood, which um, then followed with Dr. Neville also saying, how do we start empowering these young girls but we know that intergenerational sex has been something that has been spoken about for for many years so you know how much of a bearing is the environment um in terms of influencing an individual in making a healthy lifestyle choices the environment is everything so in the health promotion approach you don't only uh, uh, focus on uh, information and reorienting services, which is what Dr. Slingers has been talking about in terms of, you know, the programs that you have. Mm. You also create an enabling environment. And all three of them, you know, you make sure services are available. If they are not accessible, you make them accessible. But the environment is key. And I just want to point out to a number of environmental sectors, despite our biggest investments and our biggest plans, that in working directly with young women and girls, we find that they are missing. Firstly, with all the plans that we have to even make our clinics accessible and youth-friendly, the report that we get from young people is that those environments still remain hostile. Mm. And they remain hostile because fundamental to providing quality service, not only quantity. It's an acceptance that young people, especially young women, will have sex, and that they've got agency, and that they've got choice. And young women are telling us that the attitudes that they are faced with Mm. suggest the very opposite. When you are in a community where violence is a norm, and the way that uh, young girls and young boys, um, if they are heterosexual, uh, is, is, is mediated, the way that they date is mediated through violence, the sexual... Nuances and rapporteurs is 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 going to be extremely challenged. Mm. So 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 for me, we need to be dealing with that environment and and those social norms. And the problem with this, which is a question you asked about um, research and the numbers, Mm. and 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 what uh, Dr. Slinger said is that a lot of the things we must do are not measurable. Yeah, a lot of the things that we must do are hard in terms of how do you create an enabling an, an, an environment. You are going to see the results of some of the work that we need to do in terms of shifting uh, uh, social norms after a long period of time, you know, mm-hmm. and the kind of instruments that we would need to develop even in research to measure that are complex. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as Dr. Slinger said, uh, it's important. But, you know, when you live in a patriarchal society where young women themselves feel that 
not only for financial benefit, but for even self-worth. Mm. I must date, and I must date this kind of a person, even if it's not because I'm hungry at home, because there's also a narrative that, you know, young people, and, and I'm not suggesting that that is not the case, mm. date older men for money and whatever. They also date them for status. You know, the, mm. and, and that status, if you think of it, you must come to women of my generation mm. who are socializing fundamentally young women to be saying it is a status to basically a, 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 a date, a guy who can provide, who can do this, who can do that. What does it mean about the nuances? And fundamental problems that we have, we as part of a, a, a program that, 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 that is funded by the Global Fund has been trying to do the economic strengthening. We are meeting young people whose basic skills are, are so poor that, you know, when you are trying to say what, what do we train them into in order to either become an entrepreneur or get into work, you are really starting from a very low base. But you mm. are also getting into vulnerable communities where when you say to somebody, go into a six-week program that is going to help you get these skills to be able to do that, what they are looking for is something that's going to make me make money now, mm. you know. So are we understanding the microfinance needs of young people, particularly because in South Africa, almost 60% of children are growing up in single-headed households. Mm. So when you take all of these issues, and we are doing very badly with maintenance, so a lot of the young women that we are facing, they are in homes where the, 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 the money in the home is lacking, and there's intense pressure. We, 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 we run the Rise uh, Young Women's Club, and for young women out of school, 19 to 24, you know, your ability to keep them, mm. even when the program is good for them, is hampered by the fact that my family sees me going out and going into these activities, but whenever I come and, and I'm empty-handed, mm. they are saying, where have you been going? Yeah. Why are you busy with those city people? Why are you not looking for a job? So there's also real, real issues. And therefore, you will find that when we are discussing state capture, when we are discussing a whole lot of these issues, they are so interlinked in terms of what is the environment we are creating for young people to be given the best chance possible mm. to have the self-efficacy that Nezalini was talking about. Mm, mm. Now, now, Dr. Purin, I mean, we can't uh, isolate the men from, from, this, from this conversation. Yeah. You know, where, when do we start bringing our young boys, our men, into the conversation? I mean, we have had drives where they, like, um, organizations like Sisonke, Gender Justice have been going out on these campaigns trying to bring men on board. But do, are we, I, I sort of sometimes feel as if the focus is always on, on women. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we should um, see this as a, a binary either or. Mm. I think it, it's really, as I said earlier, I think there are multiple areas that, that need to be tackled simultaneously. But how do you do that? It's, a, it's very complex. So, you know, for example, if you take male circumcision, as, and I know that I'm focusing on, on the, the medical aspects mm. of, of, of the, the, the approach to, to HIV and its, its treatment and, and prevention, but, for example, the male circumcision program, um, we have, I think, ambitious targets as to, because we know it's one of those interventions that, from, again, research has shown to be, be effective, but the actual introduction and reaching those targets has really taken a fairly long amount of time to, to achieve that. Um, 
and but I think that I think we should still have an optimistic view that um, those types of programs um, need attention, need focus. We need to be persistent with those particular programs. But it comes back to who do we target? So we know that this age disparity that, that contributes mm. to um, the furthering of, of, of transmission in HIV. But when you look at the figures of who's being circumcised, it's mainly the, the young men in that 15 to 19 year bracket where we are successful with regard to male circumcision. So at least from that perspective, from a long-term perspective, um, I think that, that that's really encouraging. But how do we um, approach those men that really need to be circumcised? You know, those age disparate relationships. Mm. What is it that we are missing or don't understand about those particular men that will allow us to um, be able to approach them, to be able to enroll them in those particular programs of male circumcision? So I think that's where some of those the, the focuses um, need need to be. Um, I know again we mm. could certainly look at other ways in which we could encourage men to to test. Um, do, again, do we look at our facilities and communities to make it more accessible in terms of time, mm. um, in terms of encouragement? I know that, for example, self-testing is, is, is certainly encouraged. So those are pa- perhaps some of the, the multiple approaches that we can certainly adopt to, to try and, and uh, uh, reach those particular men that are hard to, hard to reach. Mm. Um, Dr. Neveline, what's your thoughts? Where, where do we start reaching the boys and the men? Um, so I think quite a, a bit has been tried. I'm not saying that we're there yet, but uh, quite a few approaches have been taken to try and um, bring men into the discussion. The mm. one is about trying to because we also know that men are not accessing health services. So yes. there's been a drive towards um, putting in place extended hours, um, piloting process pro- programs where men can access services through uh, general practitioners or other private um, facilities after hours. Um, and trying to look at how can you bring men into services, uh, what are their challenges with coming to the routine health services. So. Mm on the one aspect because you want men to test. And as um, Dr. Purin spoke about, I mentioned, there's also a drive towards um, self-testing mm. and making that more available. Mm. And also what we're calling index testing, which is looking specifically for partners of um, HIV-infected women. Um, so on the one hand, there's about accessing services to make sure that they test and then links to care and are, are maintained on, on antiretroviral treatment as needed. And then secondly, there's also quite a, a drive from civil society. Um, and in fact, in the month of October, and I think it will come, culminate into a national men's parliament in November, mm. a process led by the Deputy Minister of Social Development is a process run, driven by the men's sector of Senex, which is to try to raise the awareness of men generally around the country of these issues and then to get commitment from them at a, at a local level but also at the highest political level. Because I think that at the Senate structures which are you know, led by the head of civil society, the, min- the Minister of Health as well as the Deputy President, there's a lot of political commitment for making change but people are trying to even build further on that and take that down to the provinces as well as the local level. Mm-hmm. I think our biggest challenge still remains the coordination of this response 
and bringing all the government departments together so that we make greater use of all the investment of funds that is going towards um, bringing on and advancing responses to men. Mm. Thanks, Ayanda. Okay, let's go for our last break, and then we just want to hear some final sentiments from our guests, you know, the way forward, research-wise, scientifically, socially, and economically. What do we need to do to step up the efforts in terms of reaching young people, ensuring that they don't forget the message about HIV and that they're still at risk? Um, you know, the fight of uh, the fight um hiv fight is definitely not over yet and that they still need to really be wary and and aware at all times let's talk about that after the break swiss chocolate wouldn't be swiss chocolate without african cocoa (laughs) you know it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize it's just how important africa is to the global economy and as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there nothing's ever going to change i believe it was one of the uh, ancient greek philosophers who said that when we teach we'll learn twice hello africa welcome to 1000 african voices on channel africa 1000 african voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Welcome back to African Dialogue with myself, Ayandam Kwanazi. Now, just let's try to wrap it up here. Um, Lebo, I'd like to start off with you. Education has always been one of the centers of our awareness campaigns. I remember when HIV was was still a taboo and we're trying to get everybody on board and to understand we really went hard on education. We had programs, we had soul buddies, we had, you know, it was in all mediums, it was spread across in all mediums. Um, do you think that there's still a lot of emphasis on education? Education alone uh, uh, will never achieve the desired results that we need, although it's important. Mm. And even when you refer to soul buddies, it was a combination of media, social mobilization, working on the ground with communities and advocacy to create an enabling environment. Mm. I think we have seen, particularly with social and behavior change communication, uh, where education is a part, that our investment in that area has dwindled. And we, we as practitioners were caught up in this field of, well, where is the evidence that it works? We need to go into, you know, where the evidence is. And while I respect and I, and, and, and I think a lot needs to be done, um, we've also created an investment case around how 
interventions such as soul bodies, soul city, uh, uh, cha-cha and others that have, have come on board are very useful as a catalyst in uh, uh, creating the necessary dialogue that will shift the social norms. And mm-hmm. when, when, when um, you know, we choose, and I understand why we choose, because resources are finite, you know, we may find that we, 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 we compromise one element of the response. But, but yes, we need to, to continue to engage. The young people who are 16 to 19 now are not young people who were 16 and 19, 10 and 15 years ago. Mm. And therefore, you know, the kind of messages, but also engagement on the ground involving young people at the center of our response. Mm. Dr. Neveline, South Africa has the largest HIV epidemic in the world. Um, we've got the largest treatment program. Where should we be focusing our efforts going forward? I think it's, I think if we look at our, our statement for the National Security Plan, it says let our actions come. And I think the main thing is that everybody has to be involved in the response. So everybody should get themselves tested. They should know about HIV. Um, every woman can serve as a mentor to an adolescent girl and young woman um, in, this, in this age group. And if you are a man, I think that you should also test, but also understand how you can be contributing to the high HIV incidence in adolescent girls and young women, mm. and be aware and let your actions come. Thank you. Dr. Purin, I'm going to let you have the last say. I mean, in terms of research, where should we be going in the next five to ten years? Should we be exploring other forms of, 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 of research, you know, as a country? Well, I, I think research is, is certainly critical in our understanding um, at different levels. It's also, I, I know that I focused on many things such as the, the treatment program, which I think is really critical. Mm. But, you know, those gains are, you know, can be lost or, or, or attenuated if we don't focus on those young women that, that are constantly becoming infected. So I think there are areas of research that I think needs to be encouraged, new ways or different ways of, of thinking. But it's also doing the basic things, getting those basic things right that, that Neveline has, has really um, spoken about, you know, really encouraging people to be aware of their status um, and how to manage their particular status, how we as a society need, need to address this particular problem rather mm-hmm. than trying to work in, in, in isolated ways. And of course, my my hope is that a vaccine will come about. I think, you know, I think we certainly, as I said, the trends are in the right direction. Mm. But I think um, vaccine research, I think, is still a, a critical component um, that, that may well play a, a role in terms of trying to um, stop HIV. Mm. Well, thank you so much to all three of you for giving us your time and giving us your insight. We really do appreciate it. That was the voice of Dr. Adrian Purin, who is the head of the Center of HIV and STIs at the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. And also we had Dr. Neveline Slingers, who's the executive manager at the South African National AIDS Council at SANEC and the CEO of Seoul City Institute, Lebo Ramafuku. Thank you, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right, it's now three minutes to quarter to 12 Central African time. Let's play a song by Sagila called Sinsik.
Remember.